0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Kind of Funny X Cast, your home for all things Xbox here at Kind of Funny. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Snowbike Mike, and today I am joined by my two gaming dads back at it again and one incredible special guest, of course, from Bethesda Game Studios. It's Todd Howard in the building. Todd, I'll start with you because you're our guest. How are you today?
1: Well, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. You know, I met you guys each uh, before and just to let you know, I am actually such a huge fan of what you guys do. I watch it all the time and uh, love the conversations you have and couldn't be more excited actually uh, to be here with you all today.
0: Thing. Thanks, Todd. And, uh, you know, it was really special to get to meet you over the summer. And I'm sure everybody here has their own very special story, but it is awesome to make a memory here on the kind of funny X cast with you. So thank you for your time and hanging out with us. Of course, guys, my gaming dads, I want to kick it off with you too and Todd because we just celebrated Father's Day. And I want to give a big shout out to my gaming dads out there because, of course, all those gaming dads around the globe, you're incredible. We want to celebrate you this week. And I want to start off with you too and then Todd is one of your favorite gaming dad moments that you've gotten to share with your kids because I'm sure you've had some memorable ones. Gary, I'll start with you. Give me a good one. The
2: take. first one that popped into my head and I, I have a clip of it and it genuinely was a proud dad moment. The first time my, my daughter legitimately won a crown in Fall Guys all on her own for the first time. That was amazing. That's that was incredible special. to see. And she had come so close a couple of times, like last second tail grab in Royal Fumble and I was, I was devastated for her. When she finally got one like I made sure that I clipped it. It, it was just like a proud dad moment.
0: Paris Lily,
3: tell me a, a proud dad moment that you had gaming side. Mine, mine is so easy. It's my son, when he was nine years old, he might've been 10, but nine or 10 years old, 2015, King's Fall Raid, Destiny. He didn't have to carry him. We we, we ran through the whole thing. He did it all on, on his own. It, it was just a fantastic moment to be able to do that, to be able to share that with him. Actually, I'll give you another one from Destiny. My son and I, also doing trials, getting to the lighthouse together. That, that's something I'll never forget. This Great
2: is like the new boys. version of like when you take the training wheels off the kid's <laughs> yeah. bike and they can do it by themselves. At least the new video game age of that.
0: That's a special one. Yeah. Uh, of course, Todd, you're a dad out there. Do you have some proud gaming dad moments? I mean, you gotta have a special one where you like point at the TV and go, I made that with my team,
1: right? Like, is there moments like that? It took me a long time to get my kids to play my games, actually. But some of my fondest memories uh gaming with my kids has really been minecraft you know for a long time for a decade we always come back to it and it's just like a world that we can all build and play in together and uh it's really really amazing that's pretty rad i
0: love that shared world of minecraft where you can always go back leave it for a couple of months, come back whenever you
2: want to, and just keep... My kid was over. obsessed with Minecraft for a while because every kid goes through that phase, right? Every kid's into Minecraft yeah. at one point. And mm-hmm. I, I never order. really was, so I never connected with her over Minecraft proper, but we've talked a lot on the show before about what a, gate, what a great way to bring um, families together, something like Minecraft Dungeons is right because like she was into it because she liked the world but also it's like it's basically Diablo right so that was another proud dad moment for me the first time we got back from a quest and she's back in town like oh this uh, plus five on these new trousers that I just got and I'm like this is video games like you're learning this is this is the language of video games and seeing her do that for the first time like um uh comparing different pieces of gear and what she wanted to put in each armor slot I was like she's a gamer now it was just brilliant I loved it Uh, I love you guys sharing your proud dad gamer moments. Of course, shout out to all
0: the dads out there that watch and listen to the show. Thank you for your support. And to everybody else out there, I can't wait to share a great interview with you because we get to sit down with Todd Howard himself, talk all things Starfield, coming hot off of that Starfield Direct, and so much more. About his incredible career in gaming. But before that, I got to remind you that this is the Kind of Funny X Cast. We post each and every Thursday at 6 a.m. West Coast, Best Coast time on youtube.com slash Kind of Funny Games, roosterteeth.com, and of course on podcast services around the globe. Don't forget, you can now support the Kind of Funny team in a brand new way if you're buying games off the Epic Games Store. If you're buying a new look in Fortnite, Rocket League, or Fall Guys, please use our Epic Creator code, Kind of Funny, at checkout to help support the team. And talking about support, we always love to give a big shout-out to those who support us over on Patreon. Don't forget, if you support over on Patreon, you can watch shows live, you can watch them ad-free, you get exclusive content over there. And of course, we'd like to thank those who support us over on the Patreon producer tier for the month of June, like Casey Andrew, Delaney Twining, and James Hastings. Thank you so much for your support. This week, The Kind of Funny X-Cast is sponsored by BetterHelp, but I'll tell you about that in just a little bit. Let's jump into it and hang out with Todd Howard himself and have some fun, guys. Todd, I'll kick it off. Congratulations to you and the team on the big reveal, the big direct. Of course, so many years in the making, a very exciting moment. We look forward to just a couple of months from now, we finally get to play Starfield. But I want to talk about just a couple weeks ago because that Starfield direct left me and many in awe. It was truly an amazing moment and something that when we left that going, man, we really got to go 45 minutes in depth with your team looking at this awesome brand new game. And you guys absolutely crushed it. So congratulations to you guys. That was really, really cool. But I want to talk about how do you build something like that with a direct? I know your games are so big and there's so much to do. It's probably easy to talk about that. But how do you refine that into a tight 45 minutes where we are captured? We aren't Lingering on something too long, and maybe you cut things out. What is that process like for you and the team?
1: You know, it it, it takes a lot of time. We've been fortunate enough to uh, be able to give a lot of cool demos over the years going back. Fallout 4 was always a highlight uh, for us to do that. We did a decent sized Starfield demo last year at. I'll say E3, the Xbox showcase. And I think at that time, maybe it was 12, 13 minutes for Starfield at the end. That had been the longest demo that Xbox had shown and got a great response. Going into it this year, we knew, hey, we wanna give everybody a really deep dive look at the game and what's the best way to do that. And so we were really fortunate, I think, to have that opportunity to do that Kind of following the Xbox showcase with Starfield Direct, and the response really uh, was incredible. I, you know, hearing so many people and the feedback, everybody kind of rooting for us and and loving what we've shown. You never know, right? We're heads down here in the studio, and it, it had been a while since we had really come out with that much stuff. You never know how people are going to react. It's a new IP. It's incredibly ambitious. We're taking a lot of risks. So um, really happy with the response. It's a lot of fuel to us here. I will say the thing that actually makes me most proud of it is by doing it in that format, we could highlight a lot of people on the team that fans don't know or haven't seen before. And look, there are hundreds more that we, we couldn't show in it and sort of their passion for the project. Um, we have all, they have all put so much into this game and we just hope people love it as much as we do
3: so todd first and foremost thank you for coming on the show um i kind of want to have i've been really thinking about like what's the first question i'm going to ask todd and and i'll take it from the direct just how i felt in the moment again it was an incredible presentation and the thing that i saw in that direct because i There's just so much information. There was just such a data dump that that you had of things that Starfield is going to be able to do. But the kind of fun thing that I want to ask you, which can lead into a a bigger discussion, is. At one point, you were basically a space pirate. You could board a ship, you could take the ship, you could take everything you want on there, all the sandwiches, all, all those fun things. But it kind of leads into outside of the main story. The, the discovery, the exploration that you're going to be able to do in Starfield. Can can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. I think if you look at all of our games, that kind of feeling is what we want, where you can look at the scope of the game and the sort of palette of things and menu of things you could do and then say, what if? And then I'm going to go yeah. do these things. And I think that idea of being a space pirate, there's a whole faction for it, by the way, with the person Fleet. Um, or being a smuggler or having contraband and shielded cargo, or taking over things. those are all things that we think about as well. and we want to find the best ways to enable that while it not feeling separate while it fitting in part of the game itself. You see that in the video, I think, when you ride arrive at Jemison, where they actually do a contraband ah. and, um that you pass in that case. So a lot of really cool systems, and we do so many of them. Think what we really work on is how do all those systems come together and collide and create some really really cool moments where the players yourselves um, have that agency to go really do what you want to do in the game.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot to do in this game, and I'm looking forward to that. Todd, really exciting stuff. Uh, you talk about all of the different systems at play and how big this is and the player freedom. I do want to jump in right away because we got over a thousand community questions written in. They were very <laughs> excited that you're going to be on this show and people really wanted to talk with you about some have? of this stuff. Uh, of yeah. course, a big one that Xbox has been pushing on the XCast side of things is accessibility. And of course, you and your team have been doing this for many of years. You've worked on these settings. Xbox, it's a big drive for them right now, is the accessibility program and making sure everyone can play around the globe. You talk about players first. What is it like creating a game that's so big and has so many systems and also mixing in accessibility settings? Is there something that stands out to you this time
1: around? Well, first, I think Xbox has done an incredible job there with everything they've done with accessibility and their controller in particular. You asked that one thing that we're really leaning in on with this game is having a large font mode which really is important in an rpg where there's there's a lot of stuff to read so it comes into play with obviously for accessibility but also various monitor sizes i'm noticing that that's really helpful when i play there's a lot more handheld devices coming out where you can stream these games or sometimes even play them natively and it really helps us there as well so um that's one in particular that we're leaning in on
0: that's sweet that's sweet and you talk about handheld can you share with us is it steam deck compatible is that something you focused on or is that something we share later down on the road
1: we'll talk about that later down the road uh yeah all right let's jump
0: back into the fun though because there's a lot of cool stuff gary and i want to get into being a space pirate but i want to talk about the first steps creating the character you guys have now pushed backgrounds and traits into the fold of things and of course we've had the stars before in Elden or in um Elder Scrolls, what is it like now putting traits and backgrounds? What are some of your favorites and wh- what kind of uniqueness did you be able to bring into that?
1: Yeah, I think for us, we've done a number of games, obviously, over the decades that have various character systems and I think we've learned a lot in terms of how does it feel when you start a game? What are those first choices like before you understand what the actual rules of the game are? That's always a trick um, to get right. And then how much depth does it have if you have playing for 20 hours or 50 hours or 100 hours or 500 hours? And so I think we've hit a real sweet spot with Starfield with giving you that flavor right out of the gate where you are gonna pick some starting skills with your background, but that also has flavor. People wanna role play. They don't wanna just see it as a list of numbers. You know, I'm a chef. Okay, what, does, what kind of chef do? How does that factor into dialogue or other choices in the game? Um, And then so that's the backgrounds and the traits. It's a little bit of a original fallback, you know, throwback to that, um, to Fallout, excuse me, and then say these are optional. They come with positives, they come with negatives. And you saw some of that in the direct uh, with the uh, adoring fan and some other ones. The parents uh, is a really, really great one that we all love. So it lets you, you know, if you're going to start over, even play the game in a different way
3: can can i follow up on that really quick just staying along those lines of the skill tree there's also the ranking system in there as well can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit too
1: yeah sure those and what we've given ourselves there is a lot of flexibility and flexibility to the player first we have the the visual right i actually love these patches badges that can go on a spacesuit and how they unlock and then they're tiered so as opposed to being a strict kind of tree you have to go down. You can say, I wanna focus in technology, and then the different tiers of skills will open up, and it gives you flexibility within that. There's five of them, you you saw that in the direct. And, And we are finding here, what you always want is, when people are talking about the game, that they're saying, did you know? Did you know you can do this? Or they're comparing characters, and those character builds and those stories feel very, very unique. Uh, for each person in that conversation,
2: I guess I should get Jez Corden's stupid question out. <laughs> oh, I, I said yeah, I would yeah, ask him. So, Please so Todd, just you yeah. understand the background here, when we tweeted out that you were going to be on the show, Jez Corden, our friend from Windows Central, responded and said, "Oh, will you ask Todd this particular question?" And Paris just flat out, flat out, just said, "I'm not asking him that." So then he DMs me. I don't know. He thinks I'm an easier mark or whatever. It wasn't his first mark, choice, yeah, but maybe yeah. an easier mark. Yeah. It's actually not that stupid a question because it's a big open world game. Todd, is there any kind of any form of um, space fishing? Is there any kind of fishing activity that you can do? Because in open world games, that is uh, quite common. And in fact, it's maybe not that stupid a question because if you know anything about like, you know, exoplanetary, um, the search for life, um, scientists will tell you that the best chance of like, finding life in the near future is like you know, little alien fishies and squids on the, under the ice of Europa. And in fact, recently we just discovered that one of the key chemical building blocks to construct organic life might be present on one of the moons of Saturn. So I, so I put it to you, Todd, Fishing or, or no fishing?
1: Well, it depends on your definition of fishing. So, mm. is it collecting fish, killing fish, or is it specific to... Is there some kind of rock?
2: rod that I can put into a into a <laughs> lake and pull out a, a, an alien fish and then sell it or, or or cook it or something?
1: That is one thing we do not have.
2: Okay. Expansion, okay. though. Dang it's going to no, be expansion. He never no. Jets,
1: Gordon, be you never know. You It's going to be DLC. I, I told you. Like, the Jets,
2: this is on you. The yeah. interview's gone... Bad now, and it's okay. down to him. I
1: like well, that. Let, let me try oh, and salvage this. To say no to things.
3: Yeah, it's hard but to I'm say no.
1: I'm sure. I'm really here to lower expectations on. That yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. And me, me also. He's trying to pull it all in. Is right.
1: They're a little high. They're a little.
3: Well, <laughs> let, let me let me try and salvage this and turn it in a, in another direction, which I think can lead to an interesting conversation. So, the thousand plus planets. If there's been any concern that I've heard recently about Starfield, it's been about handcrafted versus procedural so obviously with a thousand plus planets a lot of it's going to be procedural and you even talked in the direct about there will be kind of breadcrumbs along the way with handcrafted things that you'll be able to do as you discover these planets but my question is i i take it back to something like mass effect i remember when that came out super excited you know you could go to all these different planets and ultimately there wasn't a lot to do on the vast majority of them so with starfield when we think about these thousand plus planets of course we want to go out and explore the galaxy we want to see all of these things but when i get to these procedural planets is there really going to be things there to do that that are worth my time it, you know other than maybe there's a resource here or there is it all just handcrafted or will there be procedural things that we could discover on these planets as well
1: i think that's know the million dollar question as it comes to a game like this it's a great question one that we honestly struggled with early in the project we wanted to do the planets because we like to give you that choice where do you want to go you feel like you would want that choice in a game like this and so first it was technically could we pull it off and you know we did technically be able to you know draw these planets make them feel believable on the screen um now obviously It's procedural, okay, so there's no way we're going to go and handcraft an entire planet. What we do is we handcraft individual locations, and some of those are placed specifically, obviously the main cities and other quest locations, and then we have a suite of them that are generated or placed when you land depending on that planet. Now, I'll also say for us, we view it as giving you, when you look at a system, here's the menu of things you could do. And like science, and we're pushing it, about 10% of those planets have life on them. We're pushing it to the edge of what do people think, what planets are in that Goldilocks zone versus planets that have resources. Right. You know, I think it is, it is a moment when you land on some of these barren planets. And again, we will generate certain things for you to find on them. But if you look at a planet, you see the resources, it has things you want. There is, I love the Buzz Aldrin quote, the magnificent desolation. I think there's a certain beauty to landing on those and feeling I'm one of the only people or the only person to ever visit this planet. Um, So it's a difficult design thing. If you add too many things, if it's generating too many abandoned bases or towers or things to find, it starts feeling too gamey in some of those locations. So I think we've dialed that in um, pretty well. Um, depending on the planet that you're on. And so um, we hope everybody enjoys it for what it is, but it is an exploration different than we've had, where you're landing, you're exploring around that landing spot, and then you're probably going somewhere else.
4: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. I know this from experience, how often it just seems easier to care about others and to keep it moving. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burnt out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life. So you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Some of my very best friends use BetterHelp and love how helpful it can be for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash kindoffunny today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash kindoffunny.
3: So if I can follow up on that, and I don't mean to dominate the conversation, but I think it's relevant here when we're talking about planets is, again, I've probably watched this direct like a thousand times at this point, so. Uh, one thing that I did notice was some planet biome diversity. It, you seem to highlight one planet where we did see different biomes on that particular planet. Now, I'm not expecting that on every planet, but this is something that you're conscious of, that, that you're doing in the game. And it leads me to two questions. I'm just thinking the size of some of these planets. Is there really going to be this giant map that we're going to be able to to explore across different biomes and find, obviously, interesting things and resources and creatures? But the other part of this is and this comes to more to just the diversity of the planets. When I think about gravity, temperature, radiation, things like this, are we going to have to prepare ourselves to actually be able to land on some of these planets and explore them? Or is it just going to be if I can get to the planet, I can land and do do whatever I
1: I need to do? There's a lot lot there, but I'll say, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, have a, we, have a lot, we have a lot of biomes. We yeah. do look at temperature. We look at the radiation. We look at all of those things on a planet so that your suit and your protection, you can get certain ailments if you're not ready, and certain weather things can come through um, with all of that. So there are obviously planets that might have one type of biome, and there are planets that have a whole bunch and their creatures and the uh, plants and everything go with the biome so there's a whole part of the game where surveying a planet like discovering all of the flora and fauna and resources plants also have traits usually geological things that are inherent to that planet and uncovering those and if you fully survey a planet that data is actually worth a lot of money credits in the game that you can sell so there's a whole part of the game that's Really just doing that. It's a little more, I almost describe it, zen-like. You know, you can get on a planet where the creatures there, some of them can be aggressive, where it can get dangerous uh, if you're exploring the planet. And you can watch the creatures. We've actually had a problem at times with the predator creatures going and killing all of the more peaceful creatures you're coming across. Why are they all dead? And then you realize there's something dangerous in the area. So I would say this, that we... We do everything that you mentioned, and we really try to mix it up and spend a lot of time balancing that. So it is fun minute to minute, but you also know what you're getting into.
0: Todd, I want to talk about the plants and the creatures. I guess I'll start with the creatures really quick, of course. Some iconic Bethesda creatures, the Deathclaw, the dragons, and uh, and, uh, Elder Scrolls. Is there going to be a special creature in this? Or will there be so many that there's not just one that we all point to and say, oh, wow, that was the bad one?
1: I mean, there's definitely, there's a few bad, there's one really bad one. There's a few, but you have to play it.
0: Okay, I like that. And (laughs) then one of the most asked questions was, Todd, we land on these planets and people are blown away by the size and the scope of things. Is there a land vehicle or an option to maybe mount some of these wildlife creatures to use as a land transportation mode of mode of transport?
1: Uh, there is not. You know, we do design it. I think when we, we've seen this where there are other games where we want to design it so it feels good on foot. But we do have the boost pack. You saw some of that in the video and you have skills for the boost pack. So the boost pack almost acts like this vehicle. It's super fun where you can fly through. And then the low gravity planets are just um, really, really something special in the game.
3: That's awesome. So if, if I could pivot this into companions, um, question about that as far as companions, crew members, um, and some of the individual skills that they're gonna have in in the direct, it was clear that, you'll have some crew members you'll you'll have some that you can station at an outpost but I'm curious even with that will we have the option to just play the game solo without any companions or crew members or is that going to be a necessity as as we're playing through the game and along those lines can crew members on their own through their own decisions decide I don't want to do this anymore and they leave
1: okay few ones there um <laughs> First, the Companions are awesome. They, they, our team's done a really, really great job of them, and there's a lot of great depth there with the main Companions. But we do support where, if you don't want to do that, there's a traits uh, that really make you, you know, I want to play by myself, and then there's also skills that go into that that give you special perks and bumps if you are solo. The them leaving on their own, they can, depending on the choices you make, they can get angry with you yeah. Um, and then the relationship that you have with the companion can change based on the decisions you're making in the game. If
0: I get mad at my companions, Todd, can I space them and take them and make them walk the plank on my spaceship?
1: <laughs> you can leave them behind. You can tell them where to go. You can assign them. You can assign them the outposts. You can assign them to ships that you're not using and things
0: like that. Uh, I have a fun one coming in from the community. Courtney writes in and says, are the Constellation companions the only ones that are able to be romanced? A lot of people are very excited about romancing NPCs. What is the breadth of that? Is, is there a wide range?
1: The four main Constellation ones are the ones that support uh, full quest lines for them and romance.
0: Great. Also, I had another great one. Someone wrote in and said, could my crew on my ship be all robots? Is there a possibility of having enough robot companions slash crew members, to be an all-robot uh, starship?
1: Technically, yes.
2: Okay. It's so weird, awesome. the, the questions that people come up with. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Todd <laughs> well, creates well, some special games. I don't want to I mean, there's Bosco, the, there's and then there's a few other things. But Okay. Not, we'll not to the that. extent of the humans, obviously. Yeah. I, think,
2: I think one of the challenges of making a game like this it is is that when you say, Oh, it's you know, a million planets and you can go do anything you want, that people are gonna ask sometimes dumb questions like, Well can I can I go space fishing? Oh, yeah. You know, it's and and, and you realise that for every one thing you can do in a game like this, there's still gonna be a hundred other things that you cannot do because we're not there yet. But well, you know
1: Well look, I that's what we do in the studio, right? When you're doing a game like this or the games that we have done, we ask all the same questions. Right. And it's how do we say yes as much as possible? So the, actually, they're not like, "Should you fish?" It took us a while. we finally added it to Skyrim, right? So: um,
2: So there's hope. Know, there's, there hope is hope for space for, fishing uh, down uh, the road.
1: What's great about these kind of games, role-playing games in general, that they're not defined by a certain feature set,
0: right. Todd, I want to talk about the music because I know music is very important to you and the team and it's something you kind of base a lot of things off of and we've seen music really get a lot of shine in the gaming industry over the past couple of years, which is all due and that deserve, right? I want to talk about how you build music into an open world game like yourself, right? Where maybe me and Gary never hit the same point or how do you make sure the music hits at that right perfect moment if I'm 30 steps the wrong direction or maybe I never hear that kind of music. What is that like creating music around such a big freedom driven open world game.
1: Well, actually music is one of the first things that we start with when we make a game, we do concept art and we start writing the music. Um, I think the music for Starfield, the the work that Enon Zur has done there is just incredible It could be my favorite game music. And we did that very, very early so when we're working on the game, we're looking at the concept art. The music is giving us all a feeling of what this world feels like, and what this experience feels like. Um, how we do that in, in an open game is there is a whole system behind, like, what is happening? What's the mood right now? And then it is pulling from, you know, a collection of tracks that that fit that mood and then segueing between them. And it might be easy to say, oh, you're just going to do this all the time. But the trick we find is actually when it has time to breathe, when the music actually kind of subsides for a bit so that when it does come on and we're trying to hit a certain mood that you're in, it's impactful. I've also noticed and happy to hear from all of you, but sometimes the music can come on and maybe it puts you it puts you in a mood. Like, oh, you're hearing this music and then you're like, oh, I think I'm feeling I should do the following now. And then it puts you in a certain mood that you weren't in before. So we, we get some of that sometimes, not intentional, but it's not a bad thing.
2: Since we're talking about audio, I guess I should ask the other question that we were talking about before, before the show. This is a, will, will the game have this? We were talking about how much we love in-game radio stations, and Fallout obviously is one of the better examples of that. Is there any kind of space radio that we'll be able to listen to as we're exploring?
1: There is one, but it is pretty much local to a certain location. Okay. not something you can dial into when you're away, but there is a little bit, a little bit of that, I would cool. say. Cool. I love in-game radio.
2: We were
0: just yeah, we were talking about that. about that, of course, the radio host. Todd, did you ever think to yourself, I would like to be the radio host for one of my video games. Put me behind the the microphone. Let me go wild.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think that's... For me, uh, and actually, you know, the last DJ we we had in Fallout Four is is Brendan Hunt, who everyone knows as Coach Beard on Ted Lasso. So, That's amazing! I didn't yeah. know that. That's awesome. Yeah, he's incredible in the game. I mean, if you're ever looking
2: to add like a wacky kind of morning zoo trio <laughs> to the to the Starfield, you up. know, radio universe, Damn you know, well. you know who to call. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, Space Bike Mike. The- any time. Yeah. So, this this ship writes so, itself. I told you the creative process was easy. It's like falling off of a log. It's so easy.
3: So, to, to get it back onto Starfield directly, but, to Todd, um, <laughs> one question. One question I, I had was was about shipbuilding, and I'm, I'm trying to keep this limited, also the ships that you acquire. So, obviously... We, we saw during the direct, you can build your own ships. You can let your imagination go wild. You mentioned in there that to reach the far reaches of the galaxy, you will have to upgrade your ship You know, along the way, which makes total sense. But me wanting to live out my space pirate fantasy in the game, if I'm acquiring certain ships, whether I purchase them or I quote-unquote steal one, are those ships locked in at whatever quote-unquote stats that they have at that time? Or are they upgradable in ways as well?
1: They're all upgradable. They go through the same. We built those ships with the builder that you all saw in the direct. When you steal one, we do make you register it. If you want to modify it or use it in those ways, you have to spend credits to go register it, and that's for us to keep it from the economy kind of spiraling uh, in in those ways. You can fly it around, but if you want to if you want to mess with it, you register it. Um, and then you go through that whole loop of upgrading it. I will say that that's a very deep system and one that we expect for late game. It's not like you start the game and then you're going to get right into shipbuilding. It it costs a lot of credits. Um, It is, in a good way, a very complicated system and one that it was more of a longer term thing in the game. You can easily upgrade your ship, like just go in and say, I want to improve these weapons. I want to improve the grav drive or the shields, that's very, very easy to do. But where you go in that mode and you break it apart and you're building, that is a whole mode onto itself that is more of a long-term play kind of thing.
3: That actually leads me into, and this is more of a fun question, but we saw this in the direct as well. And if, if you don't wanna answer it, I completely understand. But if I'm going to New Atlantis and they scan my ship and I do have contraband, what happens?
1: You'll have to wait and see.
3: All right, looking forward to that. <laughs> I feel like that modular shipbuilding
2: stuff is, is really cool. I can see people getting totally lost in that. And, and I'm, I'm right in thinking, maybe this was addressed in the director, I don't know, but like once you, once you build your ship, you're designing kind of the internal layout of the ship that you'll walk around in as well, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it comes with it. So you have these modules and they, they come with the inner parts as well. And then when you click them together, and obviously you saw it, there are different modules for different things. So that, that gives the ships a really, really unique feel. And I'll say, when we designed the game originally, when you go into sci-fi, we sort of start with, what kind of spacesuit do we want? What does that look like? What do the weapons look like? And it took us a long time on ships because there's so many ships in games. And how do we do them where they, they look cool, but they feel believable, where you can draw the line from where we are today to these kind of ships while also allowing the player to build them. So that, that actually along with the planets w- was a big challenge for us. And I, I, we all love where it's ended up.
2: That's I have, great. I have kind of a nerdy tech law question. One of the things I love, because you know, I, I love the, the the nerdy science stuff and I, I, I'm sure that, that Bethesda has got its own route into this as well. But like one of the things I loved about mass effect was they had really cool explanations for faster than light travel and even faster than light communication, right? The mass relays would get you around and the quantum communication would allow instantaneous communication over like the span of light years i presume that starfield has its own version of all that tech law right this is how we're able to travel faster than light this is how we're able to communicate faster than light
1: definitely i mean we we say grav drive here but it stands for the graviton loop field array the way the different bands bend space in front of you and the more it can bend it and you're actually taking space and you're folding it you're bringing the space toward you there's some great papers out there on like warp drives and quantum physics. I was going to say, and- this
2: is not a dissimilar to warp drive, right? Where you contract the space in front of you and expand the space behind you.
1: Technically, That's what it is. And we do get into with the game gravity and how that affects, um, you know, people in this universe, how they bend it, how they feel about that. And, and and so forth. So we do a lot of interesting things there. But to your point, Gary, we we did spend a lot of time originally. What is the fiction of this new universe that we're building, and how do we get from today to the tech level of this game, and have that? It's still a video game, right? So I don't want to like overpromise here or anything. But make that it, it, for the reality of this game feel believable. Right. I want to
0: stay on tech with you really quick because I know you're a big tech guy and, of course, we see the Xbox Series X and, of course, PCs continuing to push the level of tech for game developers like yourself and the team. What are some of the benefits you've seen with the Creation Engine 2, maybe Dolby Atmos? Are there things that really stand out to you going, man, I love that we can utilize this or I can't wait for the future to continue to push this? You
1: know, we are just so happy with... The, the new engine, it took us so long to do. Our, our tech team, they're wizards, you know, led by Chris Rodriguez and Joel Denolt. And what we're able to do in the game and have all these things looking amazing and running from all of the items that we're simulating and people, spaceships, full planets. Um, our lighting model is just awesome, the real time uh, GI. we we didn't really show this off, but I'd love to in the future, which is we have some great volumetric fog and how that um, interacts with the lighting. Then you get into the physics and we start messing with gravity, it gets even crazier. Um, Our quest system, I think people are, you know there are a lot of open world games now, but I think what really makes ours different is that all these quests are running. It's not like you start a mission and we shut everything down. You can be on dozens of these at once and that creates, obviously it creates a lot of chaos sometimes in our games, we're aware of that, but it also creates these magic moments that that we just love and our players love. And I think that's what's, what's really, really special about it.
3: Well, Todd, that actually leads me into one question that I, I know the community has been asking a lot uh, since the Xbox showcase. Fantastic interview you did with Ryan McCaffrey and you did address why Starfield is 30 frames per second Totally understand it, totally get it, think Digital Foundry did a great job following that up. But my question to you is, was it ever under consideration to potentially do a performance mode that you would take away some of these features like you just talked about with with the volumetric fog?
1: We never looked at taking features away. Our focus is on delivering all of that. Um, obviously, we've we, we've seen all those comments. Digitally found, Digital Foundry, they do an incredible job. I don't think they know how everybody in the game industry watches every single one of their videos. <laughs> they do a fantastic job. Um, and ultimately, look, we boil it down to we wanted the consistency. Game is running great, but we don't want players to ever think about it. Um, we have obviously seen other games that have performance modes. and we we lean toward consistency overall and we you know talk to our fans and hear that from everybody um so we're feeling really great game feels great in your hands and i would say like developers know this but there there are things that you can do to make that look and feel great um things like motion blur how fast the game refreshes or reacts to a controller input all of those things matter to something feeling great and i i can honestly say this is the best feeling game uh, that we've had. That's awesome,
3: awesome to hear. I have a, I Thank have so a much.
2: question, and this is mainly because it's been on my mind recently. Because I'm like a lot of people, I'm playing a lot of Di- a lot of Diablo Four, and I love Diablo Four, but it also reminds me a lot of what has become very kind of calcified and very familiar and gamey to me we were just talking about this before the show so todd i wanted to ask you like how you approach things like side quests and try i don't know if you feel like it's necessary to get, get try and try and break this cycle and get away from it but for me it starts to feel very old where i walk into a village in diablo or any one of these kind of games and here's my side quest space bandits stole, stole my trousers go kill 10 of these bandits one of them will drop something. bring it back to me and i'll give you a better hat and i just feel like i've been doing this same shit for like 30 years and i'll, I'll still do it because that you know push the button get a pellet Dopamine hit still works. But no, I, I, I wish we could find a different side quest or dynamic or a different way that didn't feel so, like, gamey as that. And know if this is a question you've asked yourself over the course of developing so many games or in this game, Todd. Like, do, you, do you get why, what I'm talking about when I feel like a lot of these quests feel like generic video game quests? And how do you, how do you break out of that sameness?
1: Yeah, and to show how much I listen, I believe you mentioned that on an earlier podcast.
2: Yes. Look, he's not, <laughs> yes Todd, you know. I told you Todd wasn't full of shit. He actually...
1: Um, yeah, and set, I guarantee
2: Starfield's going to have some of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it's it's hard to completely reinvent the wheel. But like, I don't know. I just feel like it's it always reminds me that I'm in a video game when someone tells me a story like, like that. Like somebody stole my my pet cat. Go find it, and I'll give you some space gold, or you know, a better pair of gloves, or something. I don't know. It just it feels like we've just accepted that that's what side quests are now. And I wish there was a way to approach them. Differently, is there anything in in this, in the side questing off of the main quest line in Starfield where I'm going to go? Oh, that's a different way to do a side quest. That's cool.
1: Well, look, it comes down to making all of that content, and we our our, our folks have done an incredible job there. And just, there's there really is a lot of it. So we have a lot of specific quests, but it's not what you're talking about—the sort of random one-off ones. I don't think it's mutually exclusive. We obviously have a bunch of that. Right. You can land on a planet and go to an outpost, and we're going to generate a mission nearby and you're going to see some of that, but I think that's okay. If you know, you're in for it and those activities, if the gameplay is good, can be fun, but they shouldn't take the place of those more in-depth ones. And uh, we've done a lot of those. Right. Todd, you talk about content. I'm going to start
0: ramping us down. So guys over there, start thinking of your final questions for Todd. I want to be respectful of his time and get us out of here in a timely manner, but talk about content, Todd. And of course you and the team and, thinking about what you guys can create, but also there's the side of the mods. And, you know, your team at Bethesda have done a really great job with mods and allowing the community to create and build within your worlds. Have you seen something that stands out to you in previous games through the community where you go, man, that team did a really great job. That is awesome on the mod side of things. And of course, moving forward, are you excited to put mods into this game with so many planets to explore and the opportunity to create? Yeah, I think
1: Starfield is gonna be kind of a modder's paradise. It's part of our DNA here. We've been doing it for over 20 years. And our community around that, because look, we've usually been classically single player. That has been our community. And people are still modding uh, our games and playing them. So we're doing a lot of it. And I think one of the things that, that I'll call out is it's, it's important for us not just to enable that, but to participate, right? To make it easy for them to make this where they can make it not just a hobby, but a career. We've had a lot of great success there. So looking forward to what everyone's gonna do with Starfield, just like cannot imagine. That's awesome. Same,
3: same. I'm gonna be very excited for that. Question I have as as, as we wrap this up, there's a thousand more I would love to ask, but uh, you, we wanna be respectful of your time. Outpost, you, you kind of slightly mentioned that a few minutes ago. But something I caught again during the rec towards the end was it sounds like there's going to be kind of an advanced feature with some of these outposts where you can actually leverage some of the plants and animals on the particular planet that you're on to generate resources, which then made me think about, well, if I land on a planet, am I limited in the resources that I can use to build an outpost? In other words, is there only so much I can do? Without, un, is it unlimited what I can do with foreign outposts? Is what I'm trying to say. Can I build whatever I want, or do I have to have a certain amount of resources to build whatever you know design that I'm I'm thinking of at that time?
1: So outposts, kind of like I was talking about with shipbuilding, is a very deep system, and mm-hmm. it does involve a lot of resources to yeah. really you know do what you want to do. You can do all of that, so you can land on a planet and, and start building, but you're going to need to to really go crazy. You're gonna to need to develop your character skills. You're gonna to have to collect those resources. But there is there is a ton there. And you can even actually somewhat connect them between planets, shuttling uh, cargo between them. So it's a really, really cool system. But you know, we'll say again, like shipbuilding, one that has a lot of depth. It's not really meant as like an early player kind of system. It's meant to be one that you're gonna play over a long period of time.
3: Well, that brings me on to just a quick follow-up on that. So potentially, can Outpost be an, an economy generator for you as well? Yes, they can. Absolutely. Fantastic. Gary,
2: what a final questions for Todd? I always like to ask at least one question from the point of view of like a creator. Because right? mm, I, I okay. create stuff, and I'm always really neurotic about putting it out into the world. Are people going to like it? I just wanted to ask, Todd, like, as, as we close in on the final months now, this game you know, going out into the world and it being a big moment of truth after all these... Years of development. Like where, where are you emotionally typically at this point and where are you right now with this one? Like is there a certain amount of confidence like we know we've got the goods and it's all gonna be great? Or is there always that little bit of imposter syndrome, neurosis, like oh you never know until it goes out into the world? Like where are you on that spectrum?
1: But you know, you, you've been through it, Gary. You have something. We've worked just so hard on it. I'll say again, the team here, many of us have done this for <laughs> decades together in, in some cases, and we have put just everything that we think we've learned and a uh, maximum effort into this one and look, we we love it and our fingers are crossed that everybody feels the way that that we do about it um, and we're just really kind of humbled by everybody's excitement for it and it's it's fuel for us you know over these last few months to make it you know, as good as it can be for everybody.
2: Do you feel any additional pressure given, I mean, obviously this, and this is not even within your control. It's just kind of the way that the history of Xbox has worked out that, you know, there's been, the vibes have been off with Xbox for a little bit. Like, where are the games? Where are the big, big games? And Starfield has kind of emerged as just wait for Starfield, wait for Starfield. This is going to be, this is going to be, like, it kind of feels like, you know, when they redid Star Wars, right? They paid 4 billion. I remember JJ Abrams said, this movie didn't cost 150 million. It cost $4 billion because that's what we paid for Star for Star Wars. And this is the kind of thing where like, if yeah, something that big the, the the stock price of the parent company moves on how these 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 mega you know tentpole things are received do you feel do you feel like you're carrying like the weight of like Xbox on your shoulders right now when when that's kind of the narrative that seems to be emerging like Starfield was going to be the standard bearer for Xbox this year I think I was feeling
1: better before you asked that question <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look we're focusing on what we can do um, like I said, on this game, and I will say Xbox has been just, their support has been incredible on this, uh, with Phil and Matt Booty and the team over there. And obviously, we worked with them a long t- you know for a long time, going back 20 years on Morrowind. But being part of Xbox and their support has really, you know, it has allowed us to be this ambitious and uh, take these risks and uh, fingers crossed.
0: That's great. Paris, one more for you. I see you. Sne- sneaking it in,
3: two <laughs> too, too quick yes or no No ones for you. Are there black holes in this game? And my dear friend, Emily, she would kill me if I did not ask this, can Vasco wear a hat like Mr. Handy did in Fallout 4? I'm
1: gonna pass on the first question. Vo- can Vasco wear a hat? <laughs> not currently, but I'm sure that will be an early mod.
3: Yeah, I'm sure it will. Uh,
1: Todd, of course, I
0: want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, I have two quick, small ones for you. Have you ever thought, have you ever wanted to do a smaller project? You and the team Todd have created these massive, incredible
1: games. Have you ever thought about making a small game?
2: Like a little pentiment kind of thing on the side? Yeah.
1: We we have the mobile team. We did a fallout shelter, which I think is our most played game ever at this point. So we, we do some of that. We have some mobile stuff going too that looks really cool that we haven't talked about. So we get to dabble in that, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I as a player, I like the big worlds that I can get lost in. That's why you know many of us here wanted to make games, um, and it's it's really really rewarding for us, and just so thankful for the opportunity, and and thanks to you know thankful to be here with you guys today. Todd
2: so just hit the nail on the head, Danny. You'll, you'll have heard me say this on the podcast before that my favorite kind of games are not. The, not me thinking about like a game that I'm going to go play, but like a place where I'm going to go and a world that I'm going to get lost in. Yes. Mass Effect was 100%. that for me. Los Santos was that for me. And that's why I, I'm ex- excited about Starfield is I want to just forget my real life. <laughs> not that my real life sucks. <laughs> it's pretty good, but I just want to forget about it and go visit a million planets and hit space aliens on the head with a hammer. Well, that was the perfect
0: way to end this Todd. Thank you so much for your thank time. You and thank most you, Todd.
2: importantly, thank you, thank you
0: to you and your team for creating games that I love that we love on this panel and that the audience loves. That is a really special one that you guys get to do. So thank you for everything. And uh, with that, that is the way we say goodbye here on the Kind of Funny X-Cast. We have a lot more heading towards Starfield's release in September. So keep your eyes out. We'll have fun. And to Todd and the team, best of luck. We'll see you at the finish line. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Loved it.